Hi, this is Brian Choi, CEO of the Food Institute, and welcome to the Food Institute podcast. This week, we will be speaking with Erica Kuhlman, Market Executive and Managing Director of BMO Harris Bank's Food Consumer and Agribusiness Group. Erica will be sharing the key themes from last month's 16th Annual Farm to Market Conference. But before we get started, I'd like to ask all of our listeners today to share this episode within your networks. It's a huge help to us, and I wanted to thank everyone who's done so before. If you are new to the podcast, please follow, like, and share as it extends our reach, and we really appreciate it when you do so. Today's episode is brought to you by BMO Harris Bank. Whether you're a producer, processor, retailer, or distributor, every company throughout the food continuum needs a financial partner that understands the factors that can impact their business. To learn more about how BMO can help, please visit www.bmoharris.com food. With that said, I'll introduce Erica. How are you today? I'm great. How are you doing, uh, Brian? And, and really uh, pleased to be part of the podcast. So thank you. So to kick things off, Erica, please share with our audience a little more about your background and also about the Farm to Market Conference. Sure. So um, as, as you said, uh, I head the uh, Food, Consumer, and Agribusiness Group at BMO Harris. Uh, BMO Harris has had a specialization in, in food and agribusiness uh, for well over 50 years. And our uh, practice is national, uh, and we cover companies that literally go from farm to market. So uh, we have a large uh, production ag business, uh, as well as everything in between, and then out to the consumer. Um, It's been an integral part of of BMO's uh, commitment to the sector, as well as uh, as the uh, annual farm to market conference. And I think for BMO, that is really uh, the signature event in, in our sector and really represents um, the commitment that BMO has to, to food and agribusiness. So a, as you said, it's, it was our 16th annual um, Farm to Market Conference. It covers private and company um, presentations across the global food and agricultural sector, uh, uh, again, from, from literally from the farm to the market. Uh, and like last year, uh, we were virtual this year and had the opportunity to host over 90 public and private companies presenting to more than 500 equity and debt investors. So in total for our virtual conference, there were close to 1,000 uh, attendees, which is really great. I would just add that the, the conference is unique in that it provides participants with a full view into trends in inputs, packaged food, retailing, and restaurants. So really covers a lot of ground. Uh, It's an incredible offering and and I think lots of uh, very valuable insights into the sector for our our clients. That's great, Erica. And that's a perfect segue um, as that sets up the key theme for today's podcast. Um, So Let's go through some of the key themes that came out of the conference. And so, um, you know, maybe you can start with, um, you know, some of your insights on the key labor theme that came out from the conference. Sure. Um, And certainly we heard a lot of this, uh, both from a public company as well as from a private company um, standpoint. I mean, labor is just the the key factor for, for companies in food and agribusiness. Uh, and is a really uh, a serious challenge. Um, 
So what we see companies doing, they are using compensation, you know, sign-on bonuses, retention bonuses to attract and retain talent. Uh, they're using different recruiting tools and um, are really focused on how do we make our employees, our teammates uh, feel really valued uh, as mm -hmm. part of the, the overall, um, you know, how the business operates. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting. Um, certainly we've heard from some in the distribution business, which is, you know, certainly labor intensive. Uh, they, they noted that their experience has been that they'll see uh, folks who start working determine that they don't particularly like the work and, and they will just simply leave. Uh, and, and just, this has not ever been seen before. So that that's an unusual phenomenon. Um, you know, what, what we also uh, see uh, is that manufacturers are really focused on and are investing in automation to eliminate positions wherever possible. Uh, I think the comment that we often hear is uh, just that, you know, a machine shows up every day for 24 hours. So it's, it's uh, really a challenge, and, and I think it's here to stay. Yeah, it's really interesting, the comments that you made about the labor side, because typically you would expect that type of behavior to come from employees in the tech sector, like the Facebooks of the world, right? Retaining talent, compensation, bonuses, um, based on your conversations with some of the leaders of these food businesses, what's the expectation of how long these labor issues will last, specifically as it relates to these higher wages and retaining talent? Is it a short-term phenomenon or a long-term one? I really think uh, the, co the, the companies that we visit with are looking at, at labor uh, as a continuing kind of long-term challenge. And so that's why, you know, they are looking at, can I invest, you know, millions of dollars into equipment or a new line to, uh, you know, to reduce the number of people that I have in, in my facility. And, and they're willing to do that because it, it, is, it is not just a short term phenomenon. Uh, so I think, you know, we're going to continue to see this and uh, the investment in, in you know, equipment, um, as I said, to eliminate positions. Uh, but it, it ultimately means that, you know, there certainly is a, a higher cost structure um, that, that uh, you'll have and, and it will certainly impact margins uh, going forward. Got it. I imagine that most of this automation and AI will be in the manufacturing sector, or do you see it all across the supply chain? I think that we'll see it primarily in manufacturing, uh, but I do um, believe it. you'll see it across um, the whole chain. You know, uh, I think distribution is, is more challenging to automate just from the cost standpoint and just uh, you know, the, the, um, just what you need with distribution, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of drivers, uh, investment in, in, in trucks and, and whatnot that, uh, that certainly that that's not, well, 
I shouldn't say that's not going to change, but uh, I think in the near term, we, we won't see self-driving distribution. <laughs> right, right. Um, you also had a, a key theme you wanted to share about the consumer. So please share uh, what, what came out of that conference from as it relates to the consumer. So, and I think that this started um, before the pandemic where companies really are responding and focused on the consumer and what does the consumer want. And I think that has just, um, you know, we're, we're moving back to that theme uh, from, from the focus on the consumer. And, uh, you know, today's consumer is really making that connection, I think, between health and nutritional benefits uh, and the environment to the food that, that they are purchasing. Um, one of the comments coming out of the conference was to think of food as food with a purpose. And that is what the, what is the consumer is, is looking for today. I think before, you know, you really had the branded food companies kind of telling consumers, this is, this is what we think you want. And now it's really, I believe, the consumer in the driver's seat saying, this is what we want. And so, you know, food, food companies, food manufacturers respond to us. Got it. Yeah. What, what was interesting when I looked at the list of the companies that were presenting, you know, a couple of them, namely Bright Farms, App Harvest, Gotham Greens, Arrow Farms, you know, just five years ago, these companies were on nobody's radar. Um, and it seems like in the past year or so, they've come to the forefront so, you know, my question to you is how much of the interest in these types of companies do you attribute to consumers' interest in health and wellness versus their interest in sustainability and even food reliability? I think they're all related. I think, um, you know, certainly uh, consumers are more focused on where does my food come from? I want to know where, where this is. Uh, grown, where this is produced, how did it get here? And so I think that's why you have this real focus on on local. Uh, and when you look at some of the companies that were presenting, you know, Gotham Greens or Bright Farms, uh, you know, they're really they're really focused on being local and and getting into distribution into the retail with a very uh, fresh with a very fresh product and. What's interesting when you are local, uh, then you know you really have a longer uh, shelf life. I think at the at the re- at retail, um, because you know you're not distributing over a long, uh, you know over over a real expansive um, geography. So it, it's you know I think that that consumers are interested in in certainly the nutritional benefits. Uh, I think that they are also interested equally in sustainability. So how does this, um, how does this lettuce, how does this tomato, how does this produce, you know, is it uh, conserving, you know, conserving water? I mean, water, energy, Um, you know, so I think sustainability is, is important. 
um, to the consumer and, and uh, as well, understanding where my food is coming from. They, they want to know. Right. What we're seeing here at the Food Institute is a lot of that demand is coming from the younger generation, the millennials and the, and the Gen Z. It'll be interesting as future farm to market conferences, like how the role of technology and sustainability, you know, for example, companies like Appeal Sciences that that's developed a, a layer that covers fruit and vegetables that can extend the shelf life two weeks, right? And just think about the billions of dollars that retailers and consumers can save. So it'd be really interesting to see how this evolves over the next couple of years, but definitely health and wellness, you know, as we're seeing is a, is a major mega trend going forward. And our expectation is, is that that will continue at least for the next five to 10 years. So um, a third factor and key theme that you mentioned um, was about inflation. Uh, so what were some of the, the key thoughts surrounding inflation that came from the conference? So I think this is uh, uh, something, you know, that all companies are, are trying to understand and get a view on. Um, we're certainly seeing higher cross costs uh, across the board. So labor, freight, uh, packaging, uh, our commodities, uh, protein, you know, you, you kind of, you name it and, and costs are higher. So the question is, is this, <laughs> which we're all struggling with, is this transitory or is this something that's more sustained? And uh, I really think that, and this is my personal opinion, um, that, that, you know, these higher costs, uh, certainly as it relates to labor, um, probably as it relates to transportation, um, are, are, are just, that's just going to be kind of business, you know, moving forward. So mm-hmm. I think that component of it is, is more inflationary and, uh, and more sustained. Um, you know, we certainly see this too in commodities and, uh, you know, whether that's the grains or protein and, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of dynamics going on um, between kind of those commodities, uh, the renewable diesel uh, movement and mandate. And I think we're going to see, we certainly are seeing more discussions about the whole uh, dynamic of food versus fuel uh, mm-hmm. that we saw, you know, in the early 2000s as, as ethanol really kind of took off. So I, I believe that, you know, certainly higher prices um, and higher costs are just going to be the, the way we do business. Um, I think the other costs that we are just trying to get our, our heads around now, too, is uh, the investment in the supply chain. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's related. Uh, you know, what did we learn about the supply chain from COVID? It, you know, just in time doesn't really work when you have um, such a shock like uh, like COVID. And I think companies are really focused on building redundancy, building flexibility into the supply chain. So that just by definition means would suggest that that, you know, there's there's a greater cost to building that kind of resilience 
into right. into the supply chain and investment in working capital. So I, I think we will have these higher costs and how we're able to pass them on or innovate, uh, you know, to, to reduce those will, will be our challenge kind of looking forward. Yeah, I think it's, it's, you know, when you look at the past five to 10 years and inflation rate just being around that 2%, I think people have kind of gotten accustomed. This is, this is the norm. Mm-hmm. When you look at the 80s, inflation was, you know, north of 10%, you know, and so it'll be very interesting to see, like, like you said, Erica, as the cost of these raw materials rise, as their supply chain disruptions, you have to pay more for transportation, how much of it will be able to be passed on to the consumer? That's the first thing. And the second issue is, will consumers be able to afford these higher prices, right? right. So um, it's a huge issues, but you know, definitely one that we'll be watching very closely over the next 12 months. Right. Um, and I guess another key theme that you, you mentioned was the, the impact of technology and e-commerce. So please share some, some of your thoughts that came from the conference related to, do, to those two things. Sure. You know, technology, e-commerce, uh, across the board. Again, we see, you know, food and, and agribusiness companies uh, investing in this. Certainly, we all saw it at the retail level um, and the growth rates of retailers and, and manufacturers uh, in product purchase through e-commerce just skyrocketed during, during the pandemic. Kroger, in their presentation, noted that the average digital online shopping cart uh, is three times the historical average of the in-store cart. So when wow. you have those type of dynamics, you know that retailers, manufacturers are going to invest and and understand, um, you know, what e-commerce and what technology means for them. I think the other component is that you know retailers are using this data uh, to mine kind of shoppers, um, you know, how shop, how how consumers are shopping and using these. Uh, analytics really to target consumers and then uh, personalize the offering that they have. Uh, most retailers would say, you know, these, these type of analytics and, and having that available to them is, is just a key competitive advantage uh, to really focusing their, uh, their offering. Got it. Uh, it's, it'll definitely be fascinating data and um, being able to collect, you know, the, the the data to understand the psychographics of consumer is definitely uh, one that we're seeing as well. The last, you know, the last theme that I think uh, I'd like to touch upon is this whole um, agenda around around ESG. And I want to, I'd like, you know, for you to kind of share your high level thoughts um, and almost tease our audience here because we will be doing another podcast later this year um, specifically focused on ESG but you know what were some of the your main key takeaways as it relates to ESG from this past uh, conference so I, the overall the, the the overarching takeaway is every company whether you're in uh, inputs so as 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 uh, an ag input supplier manufacturer 
or you are a, a, a farmer or you are a packaged food company or a retailer, just every company is committed to and has set program standards on, on ESG. So what, what's interesting about this is I, you know, it just didn't come out of nowhere. I mean, they, they've been focused on this for, for several years. And, um, you know, I think that that's driven by uh, consumers, you know, as we talked about kind of having food with a purpose. Um, but, you know, more importantly, it's, it's investors who are demanding uh, you know, a, a strategy uh, around ESG, uh, focusing on companies that uh, have a strong commitment to that and investing them. And, and certainly it's, it's all the way at the, at the board level um, for, for I, all the companies that presented. Uh, there was a panel where there were several ESG or the, the, the you know, executive in charge of, of ESG at these various companies. And, you know, they all report to a, a board level uh, position or they report to the CEO. And so I think, you know, we'll continue to hear more about this. Um, but certainly on the ag and food side, there's really an opportunity to achieve these, you know, these goals um, just by nature of the industry. Right. Well, so this is definitely uh, an area that the food in- industry has a lot to catching up to do compared to some of the other industries, as you, um, as you noted, Erica. So I look forward to our podcast later in the fall and to talk to delve deeper into what ESG uh, means for food companies. So that about wraps it up for this edition of the Food Institute podcast. I'd like to thank Erica for spending time with us today and also BMO Harris Bank for sponsoring this episode. Remember, if you're new to the Food Institute podcast, please follow, like, and share. If you'd like to learn more about BMO Harris Bank, please take a look at the links in our description. Until next time, this is Brian Choi signing off.